And I want to invite you, first of all, to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, and if you are there, please stand if you can. And I'll be reading from verses from verse 4 through verse 10. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he preached, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word, the word that was preached by Jonah, reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Please be seated. And Lord, we, we pray that your blessing would be upon the preaching and the listening of your word. Guide us, help us, help me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be a sweet aroma in your presence. Amen. Amen. The reason why I want to move out of our series to the theme of revival, it's because I believe it was February 8th during a chapel service at Asbury University. News started spreading all over the U.S. and all over the world that our revival was taking place. So the past few weeks have been filled with news of the breaking of a new revival in America. And I would say that many channels, conservative, so you can think about Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Ben Shapiro, to the Christian news, CBN, Christianity Today, and even Reformed websites, they're all, they're all talking about this revival. Asbury University. I would say I was in Brazil for the past three weeks, and even in Brazil, people were talking about the revival and asking me, what do you think? Have you heard about that? And so I started researching and trying to watch what was taking place at the chapel there, and, and I came across an interview of Tucker Carlson with, I think was the student body president of Asbury University, and, and and he asks her, he says, what is this? What is this that's taking place there? And she answers by saying, a theme of the Bible verse we have been sharing with each other is Habakkuk 1. Look among the nations and see, wonder, be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you'd not believe if told. 
And then she says, it's happening. The Holy Spirit has interceded for us. I don't want to throw a bucket of icy water, but the text from Habakkuk 1 is actually judgment. Behold the judgment that I'm bringing. Even liberal news, we're talking about this so-called revival. So the New York Times had an article saying, Woodstock for Christians. Revival draws thousands to Kentucky town. Over two weeks, more than 50,000 people descended on a small campus chapel to experience the nation's first major revival in decades. So even liberal news talking about this revival. And then I found out that there was a time that began and ended. So the revival began on February 8th, 2023, and formally ended February 20th at 2 p.m. by the order of the president of the university. And things like that start causing you to think more. And then you start thinking about this university that has a history. Allegedly, they have experienced more than 10 revivals since they were founded in 1890. So suddenly this becomes a very unique place for revivals. And they begin and end <laughs> in very precise timing. So the thing is, I was thinking about all that going on about revival, and I thought, okay, there, there are two extremes that we must avoid. The first extreme is especially in Reformed circles, is to say there is no such thing as revival. So every new about revival, you just shut it off. And no, there is no such thing as revival. And the other extreme, on the other hand, I think the other extreme is complete acceptance and approval and embracement of any thing or event that claims to be a revival without theological examination. So I think we, we cannot fall into both camps. The Bible is very clear that we must test these spirits. And some Christians, they get frustrated when they ask you what you think, and suddenly you start bringing some Bible verses. How dare you question these spirits moving? But the Bible commands us, brothers and sisters, to test, to examine. John tells us. Test the spirits. Not every teaching, not every movement that claims to be from God are actually from God himself. Paul tells the Thessalonians to test everything. Paul tells the Corinthians, let two or three prophets speak and then let others wait what is said. So my, my goal with this sermon is to help you as a church to be sober-minded. Because honestly, all the news were flooding us with this revival, revival, revival is taking place. And I want us to be sober-minded, to be knowledgeable of the Scriptures and how to examine these things according to the Scriptures. So we are not tossed to and through and carry about every report of a revival. And also, my, my hope is that we will be a church. We here, we will be a church. 
that knows what a true revival looks like because we have the scriptures and we have experienced that in our own lives. So here's the outline of this morning's sermon. We are going to be looking what is a revival and what are the evidences of a real revival. What is a revival? We often hear about revivals. We pray for revival. I know people who live their Christian lives just seeking revivals. But what is a revival? The, the word revival actually comes from the Latin and literally means to live again. You have the red there, the, the prefix again, and vivere to live, it's to live again. So revival often refers to God's work of reviving his church during a time of spiritual darkness. And we are not going to find the word revival in the Bible. The word revival in the, is not in the Bible. Just like the word trinity. But that doesn't mean that God's not three in one. So it's not because the word's not there that there is no such thing. Because some people say, there, you see, there is no word for revival in the Bible. Therefore, there is no revival. I don't, I don't hold to that. I believe that revival takes place when, think about when a spiritual... A spiritual lazy, a spiritual lethargic, a spiritual sluggish, and even, even a spiritually dead person individually or people group. They are awakened and revived by the word of God through the spirit of God into a life of holiness and devotion to God. And that takes place, brothers and sisters. It takes place in the individual and in the collective sphere. I like how Tim Chalice defines. He says, Revival is a supernatural, unexpected, deeply desired work of the Holy Spirit in which God's people hunger for His Word and long for His glory. It's accompanied by an unusual sense of the presence of God, a deep awareness of sin, an overwhelming joy at forgiveness, and a passion to reach the lost. And while the word revival is not in the Bible, the, word, the verb to revive is in the Bible. Maybe the, the word revival is not there, but the call for God to revive His people is found in the Bible. And I'm just going to give you two examples. The first is in Psalm 85. Psalm 85, verse 6 and 7. And He says, Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? That's a cry for revival. Revive us again, that we may rejoice in you. Or look at Psalm 119. Psalm 119. My soul clings to the dust. And then he says, revive me according to your word. That's a cry for revival. We have biblical evidence and support for us to pray for that. But as we think about revival, there are three things that often are together. It's Revival, awakening, and reformation. And I'm not here to try to define each term enough to say that I, my personal opinion is that revival and awakening are the same thing. And you cannot have a revival, awakening without a reformation, and you cannot have a reformation without a revival and awakening. They are all together. A true revival leads to an awakening of the soul, which leads to the reformation of our lives and of the church. The Holy Spirit always revives us and awakes us in order for us to be reformed according to God's standard. 
I like what Michael Haken says. He's a wonderful professor of church history. He says, some today, some people today wrongly distinguish revival from reform. But there are two sides of a coin. One cannot have the presence of the Holy Spirit reforming the church without his inbreathing of new life into men and women and institutions. Nor can one have the Spirit reviving God's people without reminding them of truths forgotten or ignored. There would have been no reformation unless it had been accompanied by the Spirit's reviving work of regeneration and conversion. And brothers and sisters, these sorts of things have happened in the history of the church. I believe the two most well-known movements of God is the Reformation and the Great Awakening. The Reformation in the 16th century is a revival and and a reformation of the church. And then you have the Great Awakening. Who here has never heard about the Great Awakening? That is the Great Awakening under the, the leadings of Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, is believed to be the greatest movement of God in America. The Great Awakening is known as the greatest revival that has taken place in this nation. One scholar says the Great Awakening, 1726 to 1756, in American colonies, has been recognized by even secular historians as the most powerful constructive force in American life during the mid-century. And there are other movements of God. I believe under J.C. Ryle and Charles Spurgeon in England, there is a revival. People loving the Lord, loving the church more during a time of darkness. And we find the same things throughout the scriptures. So throughout the scriptures, we see God moving in this way. So for example, we saw in the book of Jonah, that's a massive revival. King Josiah, King Hezekiah, they bring a reformation and a revival during their reigns. Think about the book of Nehemiah. When they return from the exile and you have the great revival that takes place under Ezra and Nehemiah when they're in leadership. The book of Acts has accounts of revivals bursting to different areas of the world. Therefore, we can say that though the word, despite the fact that the word revival is not found in the Bible, the principle of God moving in an extraordinary way among his people in order to increase their hunger for the word of God, to increase their love for Jesus, increase their desire for holiness, and thus reform their ways is clearly found in the scriptures. Amen? It's there. John Armstrong, he says... Revival, by definition, is the life principle of the church. It's the power that brings life to dead sinners. And it's the power that enlivens, revivifies, and advances the cause of Christ with greater effect on both the church and the culture around it. He says, the church stands in constant need of the work of the Holy Spirit. And if she is to advance rapidly and see great effect, she must experience the work of the Spirit in revival. And the same for reform. The church must be constantly being reformed. Amen? Remember the Reformation, Semper Reformanda. The church is to be continually what? Being reformed. 
Otherwise, you become deformed. The same with the revival. We are to be constantly receiving the Holy Spirit to revivify us and enliven us and awaken us so we don't sleep and embrace the world. So, we see what is a revival. And I believe we should pray. We should pray for a revival. We saw how the psalmist prayed. And I think we all should pray, revive us, O Lord. Revive us. Bring a true, a real revival among us. Revive us according to your word. Your word. Not the standards of the word, but according to your word. Awaken us, O Lord, from the slumber of our soul. Revive our first love. Awaken our affections to love you more. Awaken our affections to hate sin more and more. Revive our love for the church. Holy Spirit, revive us so that we may be reformed and not deformed. So we have biblical basis to be praying for that. Not just be skeptical about any revival. Cry out for the real ones. But what are the signs of a, a, a real revival? We know that there is such thing as revival. But what are the signs of a true revival? For most people around us in our culture, a, a real revival is marked by uninterrupted singing. So it's a lot of singing. People laughing, speaking in different tongues. Healings, prophecy, loss of control, they have no self-control. People running around the sanctuary, loud music, large tents with thousands of people. But what are the biblical, the biblical evidences of a revival? How do we know if a revival is taking place? And I think about our culture, you think about the 70s, you have the Jesus movement, and then you have the 90s with the Toronto blessing, the revival in Toronto. Then you have Brownsville revival, Pensacola outpouring of the Spirit. And then you had in Argentina with Claudio Fridenzo, Carlos Anacondia. Oh, there's revival taking place. How do you know if those were true revivals? What are the evidence of a real, God-sent, Spirit-created revival? The past few weeks, we have been hearing many news about this so-called revival at Asbury University. I even heard people saying that heaven came down in that chapel. How can you be certain of that? And I'm going to give you four evidences. There are more, but four for this morning. The first one is real revival. Revival is real when the Word of God is central in the lives of the people of God. A real revival as its main mark, the centrality of the Word of God in the lives of the people of God. Throughout the Bible, one thing is clear, the Spirit of God always uses the Word of God to revive, awaken, and reform His people. Starting with Ezekiel 37. How do the dead bones come to life? How are they revived? By speak, speak, prophesy, preach. The great revival and reformation under King Josiah was the fruit of the proclamation of God's word. They found the law of Moses. And they read the law. It was the preaching of Jonah that confronted and transformed the people of Nineveh. The book of Acts shows how it was the preaching of God's word by the apostles that set the world on fire. And I want you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Because Nehemiah chapter 8... 
narrates one of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament. In verse 1 we read, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And you've got to understand what's taking place here. Thousands of people gather together in this one place, and they have one cry, and the cry is, bring Ezra. We want Ezra. Why Ezra? Because Ezra, if you read the book of Ezra, you see that Ezra had been a man who devoted himself to do what? To study and apply the word of God. Here is the man who knows these scriptures. Do you see, Nehemiah was a great leader. Nehemiah was a skilled leader. But they don't want Nehemiah. Nehemiah is great as a leader. But he's not as great as a preacher. They don't want a comedian to entertain them. They don't want a professional counselor. They don't want Dr. Phil. They want the man who knows the scripture the best because they want to hear the word of God. And you see, they just don't want Ezra. Ezra, when you come, you bring the book. Don't come by yourself. When you come, you bring the book. The book of Moses. But they know that Moses is the author, but the ultimate author is the Lord because it's the book of Moses that the Lord commanded. So that's why they want the book, because they want to hear. They want to listen to the voice of God. They know that when the scriptures speak, God is speaking. And that's why they want the scriptures. Bring the book. It's very similar to what takes place in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, when the Spirit of Christ brings a revival in Caesarea at the Cornelius home, we read that Cornelius sent out for Peter. He wants Peter to come. And once Peter comes, he says, Peter, preach to us. We are here to hear the word of God. And Peter preached, and the Spirit comes, and people are converted, repentance takes place. And how we need this hunger of the Word of God. How we need more Christians joining their voices together and asking their church leaders, please, stop with these stories. Cut it off the entertainment. Give us the book. Preach the Bible. We are tired of stories about your family. We're tired of stories of how you are always the hero of something. Tell us the story of the book. How we need that. And how I long to see the churches here in America crying out, give us the book. Bring the book back to the pulpit. And there was a long service in Nehemiah chapter 8, about six hours. They read from verse 9, says that they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. That's preaching, reading and applying the word of God into the life of the people of God. So every revival, every awakening is marked by the solid preaching of the word of God. Therefore, a revival is real when there is real reverence for the word of God. Remember Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. How does the revival take place in Nineveh? Through the preaching of the word of God. It was the preaching of Peter and the preaching of Paul that the Spirit of God used to pierce people's hearts and bring them to repentance. Spurgeon said, 
If we want revivals, we must revive our reverence for the Word of God. True revivals are mark, marked by reverence towards the Word of God. You can see in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, the people, as soon as they start reading, people stand up in reverence for God's Word. One commentator says, Derek Kidner, he says, what is strikingly apparent is the royal, royal reception given to the Word of God. They know that the King is present through the Word. In our Christian culture, in most churches in America, we have lost the sense of reverence, the sense of dignity coming before the Lord. We lost the sense of regality and royalty in coming to the presence of the King of Kings. In Jonah chapter 3, look at the evidence of a revival. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and what did he do? He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth. The king stands up. The word came, the king stands up out of his throne, because the word is showing him that there is another king that is on the throne. Reverence, reverence towards the Word of God. Throughout history, we see that every major movement of God, every revival, every awakening, the Reformation came with the preaching of God's Word. It's the Word of God that awakens and revives us to see the love, the mercy, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It constrains us to serve and love Him more. Think about the great revival during the Reformation. You have Martin Luther, William Tyndale, Knox, John Calvin, Buse. They're all preachers, all preachers of the Word of God. Think about the Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, what were they? Preachers, preachers of the Word. Think about the Victorian age, the revival coming under the ministry of J.C. Ryle and Spurgeon. What were they? Preachers of the Word of God. These men were preachers, not music leaders. You think about Luther, he loved hymns. He wrote many hymns. John Wesley wrote many hymns. But these men were preachers, first of all. And that's important because we have this idea that revival is always about music. And that's one thing that I noticed as I was watching videos of the Asbury uh, movement that they were taking place there, it's always music, 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 and I'm trying to listen to a sermon that's taking, and it's rare, hours of music. True revival is always centered in the preaching of God's Word. The singing, yes, there's singing with joy, but that's the fruit of God's Word dwelling richly in our hearts. The true worship leader, brothers and sisters, is the man who opens the Word of God and instructs God's people to how to worship Him. We have music leaders, but the worship leader in, the, in Nehemiah chapter 8 is Ezra. The worship leader is the one who teaches the church about God's character and His ways and how He wants to be worshipped. Derek Thomas says, Every true progress, every true progress in gospel awakening or revival is conditional, conditioned by a renewed and deepened study of the scriptures. 
when you look at the Reformation, the Great Awakening, look at the revivals in the Bible, it's always the centrality of preaching, preaching the Word. And they're not preaching sermonettes, superficial teachings to help people to feel better about themselves. Those are profound, deep sermons. The doctrines of grace all over the place. So if you want to know whether a revival is real, see if the preaching of God's word is central. Revival is real when the people of God long to hear the solid exposition of God's word. And revival is real when people long to submit, not just listen, but to submit their lives to the preaching of God's word. It's fascinating when you look at the revival in Nineveh. During the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, during the Reformation, during the Great Awakening, with the exception, of course, of Pentecost, we don't see miracles, we don't see signs and wonders, we see the faithful, ordinary preaching of God's Word. That's what the Lord uses. And as I said, it's not just sermons that make people feel good. Jonah's sermon is very harsh. 40 days and you're done. Jonathan Edwards, one of the sermons that sparked the fire was sinners in the hands of an angry God. So when we look at the so-called revivals, Jesus movement, Toronto, Brownsville, we actually see the lack of preaching. A certain rejection towards preaching and the centrality of God's word. So many of these movements, the mark that you had the Holy Spirit is that you were so drunk with the Spirit that you could not preach. I have been in meetings, in this type of meetings, when you knew that the Holy Spirit was moving because the preacher could not preach anymore. He was too drunk in the Spirit to preach. So how do I know whether the, the recent movement at Asbury University was a real revival? How much of the meetings were centered on the preaching of God's Word? How hungry were the people to hear the solid and confrontational exposition of God's Word? Were people coming to hear the Word or simply to experience a new thing? So that's the primary defining mark of a true revival, the preaching of God's Word. There's one more. Revival is real when Jesus is in the center of everything. And that flows from the centrality of the Word. If the Word of God becomes the center of any movement of God, then Jesus becomes the center because Jesus is the center of the Word. Amen? He's the one who said that the Word spoke of Him. He's the main subject of the Scriptures. So any real movement of God will have the Scriptures at the center, and consequently, Jesus will be in the center. So many present revivals that they label revivals, have either man or the Holy Spirit in the center. Have you noticed that? How much talk about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. As I was watching interviews and watching things about Asbury, one thing that I noticed is how much people are talking about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting that the focus of a revival especially under the new covenant, will not be the Holy Spirit, but will be Jesus. 
Look what Jesus says. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And look at that. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit comes to magnify Christ. So when revival is real, people don't stop, don't stop talking about Christ Jesus. Of course, the Holy Spirit and the Father are involved. But the main character is Jesus Christ. Revival is real when Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen King, takes the spotlight. Think about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit quickens us to desire Christ. He illuminates our eyes so we can behold the Scriptures and see Christ in the Scriptures. He empowers us to receive Christ and He causes us to walk in a Christ-like manner. Thus, every true revival will have Jesus as the spotlight. Think about Acts, the book of Acts. Oh, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit coming with power and might upon the apostles. And what do the apostles preach? What does Peter preach about? Does he talk about the Holy Spirit? He talks about Christ, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 13, when God brings a revival and awakening in Antioch, Paul preaches Christ. During the great revival of the Reformation, what were the Reformers preaching? Solus Christus, Christ alone. During the Great Awakening, what were they preaching? Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards, in his writing about a narrative of surprising conversions, he talks about the Great Awakening. He says, in all companies, and every day, on whatever, whatever occasion, people met together and Christ was to be heard. People are just talking about Jesus Christ. Our, our young people, when they met, they're just spending their time in talk of the excellencies and the dying love of Jesus Christ. That's what people are talking about. Christ. Jesus Christ. When revival is real, of course, we'll talk about the Father's love. But how is the Father's love ultimately manifested? In the sending of His Son, Jesus, to die for us. Of course, you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. He's God. The Holy Spirit will be working us, filling us up with His presence. The Holy Spirit will be active. But the Holy Spirit's work ultimately is to magnify Christ and make us more like Christ. So, brothers and sisters, it's not music that produces revival. I love music. I love singing to the Lord. But it's not the singing. It's the preaching of Christ. Christ Jesus. So the question is, in whatever, whatever revival they hear about, are the people talking about Jesus Christ? Revival is real when people are talking about Jesus Christ, the crucified Jesus, the suffering Christ, the victorious Christ, the risen Christ. Amen? The promise and fulfilled Jesus Christ. That's when revival is real. When Jesus is treasured, proclaimed, loved, and embraced. The evidence of the moving of the Holy Spirit is that people are in love with Jesus. A church that talks much about Christ, a church that makes much of Jesus, is a church filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can apply that to the opposite. 
a church that talks so much about the Holy Spirit and so little about Christ, they don't have the Spirit there. Third mark, or third evidence, revival is real. Revival is real when true repentance is manifested. When you look at God-given revivals of the Bible and history, we see people broken, humble, and grieving over their sins. Contrary to the good time, laughter, feeling good that so much of the present revivals portray, real revival is marked by grief, mourning over sin, and the longing to change. Oh, don't get me wrong, there is much joy. But the joy is after when you find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. So we read, for example, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces where? To the ground. To the ground. In verse 9, we read that all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Weeping, brokenness, humility, those are signs of a true revival. Second Chronicles 34, 19, And the king Josiah heard the words of the law and he tore his clothes. Repentance, humility. In Jonah chapter 3, here you see a great picture of when revival is real, repentance is real. You read that the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Look at that, he removed his royal robe, all his dignity. That's his dignity, his royal robe, he removes. When revival is real, people are humiliated. They remove all self-dignity, and that's exactly what the king is doing. The robe that represented his glory and his majesty, he removes that. Instead of sitting on his throne, the king sat where? In ashes, representing death. In Acts, in the book of Acts, we see that revival is always connected to repentance. So revival is real when repentance is real. Amen? When revival comes, it confronts people with the reality of a just and holy God. When revival is real, it gives people a breathtaking apprehension of the seriousness of sin. So let me ask you, when was the last time that you were broken before the Lord in tears because of your own sin? When was the last time they removed, you removed your robes, your self-dignity, you sat in ashes, humbling yourself before the Lord, realizing your sinfulness, realizing the immensity of His mercy towards you? Your answer to these questions, your answer is very revealing to know where you are. When there was a revival in your heart, George Whitfield, he tells, in one occasion, he went to preach to the coal miners. And it was believed that the coal miners were very harsh people. Even the sailors, even hardened sailors didn't want to be with the coal miners. And George Whitfield comes to preach. 
And these men, they come out of their places of work. They're all dirty. Their faces are all black from the cold. And George Whitfield preaches. And he preaches the gospel. And suddenly this man who had a, the most unclean mouth they could ever think about. And they're crying in repentance. And George Whitfield says that he saw white gutters made by the tears down their black cheeks. That's exactly what we see with the king of Nineveh in Jonah 3. That's exactly what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8. That's exactly what we see in the book of Acts. That's exactly what we see during every greater, great movement and major movement of God. People are broken. The fruit of the Spirit is manifested. Those who were once slaves to sin become slaves of righteousness. There is a commitment to holy and consecrated life. There are new resolutions. That's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 9. New resolutions to walk in holiness. That's what we see with Jonathan Edwards. Very famous for his life resolutions. If we are to see real revival and a mighty awakening, we want to see men and women repenting and changing their ways. And last, the last mark of a true revival. Revival is real when love for the church is increased, never diminished. Revival is real when love for the church increases. Why? Because if people are going to love Jesus more, they're going to have to love what Jesus loves, and he loves his church. Real revivals brings a new commitment to the life of the local church. And it's fascinating as I was watching, and I have been involved with other sorts of so-called revivals, to see people, they're so eager, they're so eager to travel for hours, to go and experience the revival, but they will miss church for any and every reason that they can have. Oh, but they will drive and fly for hours to be a so-called revival. Oh, but their church, not that important. And one of the problems that I see with what is labeled revival nowadays is that these revivals paint an ugly picture of the local church. They paint, they paint a picture that the Spirit of God, to be alive and working, He must be in a place full of people singing loud, happy songs, little exposition of the Scriptures, no accountability the opposite of the life of a local church. The moving of the Spirit in Pentecost, the, during the Reformation, the Great Awakening, and all the other movements always led people to love the local church because Jesus loves the local church. Think about the Reformation. These men, they were not centered in one place. They were in their own towns, in their own churches, encouraging people to be in their churches and reform their churches. The Great Awakening, they were traveling around to edify the other churches. The Spirit of God never neglects the local church. And if you are being led by the Holy Spirit, our commitment to the local church will not be diminished. So you've got to ask, with any revival, are people coming out of this so-called revival loving the local church more? Are they coming out of this revival more and more eager to give themselves the church that Christ loves 
You see, the ordinary way that God used to revive his people is through the ordinary life of the local church. That's how God most often works. Amen? How does he revive us? Most often through the life in the local church. The ordinary means of preaching, singing, praying, offering, partaking of the Lord's Supper, baptism. So are the people at Asbury University coming out of those meetings more and more zealous and committed to the local church? That's a question you need to ask of any so-called revival. So I have to finish as a conclusion. I, I have my concerns about what took place there. I, I'm not inerrant. I'm not infallible. I, many things I don't know. But I know one thing. I know one thing. I know what's taking place in my life. And I know what's taking place in the life of many of you. And I love what the Lord is doing. If the marks of a real revival is the centrality of the Word of God, the solid preaching of the Scriptures, the love and supremacy of Jesus, a longing for a holy life, repentance, love, commitment for the local church, a life marked by the fruit of the Spirit, zeal and passion for the church's mission, then truly I believe that the Lord is reviving us. When I see people here in this church seeking a life of holiness, longing to put to death that sin that has been hindering them to grow in Christ. When I see some of you striving to love your spouse more and better than you used to love that spouse, when I see you longing to hear the preaching of the word, when I see you dissatisfied that the service is almost over, when I see you longing for another service, when I see new people coming to this church, not because of all that we provide, there are no events, there is no entertainment here, no cool music, no cool preaching, no fun activities, just because of the love and the commitment that we have towards the Lord. I truly see Christ working us and reviving us. Do I long to see a revival, a reformation, awakening? Oh, yes. I would love to see and I pray that the Lord would bring a great revival, a great awakening. I would love to see more people being delivered from hell, being delivered from this slavery of sin. But if the Lord in His wisdom, in His sovereignty, chooses not to let me see anything like that, I'll be more than satisfied with what He has given us. More than satisfied with what He has done in my life, in the life of many of you. And for those here who continue indifferent towards the Lord, for those here who continue cold, without any interest in, in putting to death your sin and loving the Lord and living a life of holiness, I pray that the Lord would have mercy on you and change you and confront you and revive you, awaken you. And I pray that our prayer will be, we will not revive us again, O Lord. Revive us, that we may find all our joy in you. 
Revive us as a church individually according to your word. My soul is in the dust. I need you to revive me. May the Lord have mercy on us and continue working in us, reviving, reforming, and awakening us. Amen. Father, we, we thank you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for sending your Son, giving us your word, and giving us your spirit. Lord, we pray that this church would be a church that is sober-minded, according to the scriptures. Help us, O Lord, to not go to either extreme of refusing to believe any sort of revival, and on the other hand, to accepting anything that calls itself a revival. Help us to be faithful in everything and bring everything to the standard of the scriptures, Lord. And we pray, we pray to revive us. Revive us, awaken us. Awaken our affections to love you more, to love our families more. Revive us, O Lord, to walk in holiness. A new commitment to our church. Awaken people in this church to give their lives to you. Die for you. So we need you. Help us, O Lord. And we thank you. We thank you for the work you have been doing in us, Lord. And we want more, more of you, Lord. I pray you to prepare us as we, as we get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. Prepare our hearts, O Lord. We pray for revival. And the Lord's Supper is a great means to revive our hearts as we remember what you have done for us as we remember that we have a place at your table. Feed us, O Lord. Strengthen us. Sustain us. For the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.